Welcome back, Amplifiers, to the second part of our incredible conversation with SAUSD teacher and nationally acclaimed author, Ernesto Cisneros. We hope you enjoy the conclusion of this enlightening journey. I think in my mind, the theme for this interview has been breaking boundaries, inspiration, and our stories matter, right? So I think that those would be the themes. Next question. Your books tackle some complex and sensitive themes. How do you approach these topics in a way that's accessible and meaningful to young readers? So one thing that I've learned as a teacher is that kids, and not just as a teacher, I think just remembering when I was young, kids go through a lot and they process a lot. And as I think sometimes adults, as adults, we don't always give them credit for what's going on in their minds. I remember being a kid and watching Starchy and Hutch, something like that. Starsky, Starsky, yes, yes, that one. And I remember there was an episode where they had the KKK was on there. And I remember just being so worried and I couldn't sleep that night. And I remember walking to school the next day and I was worried about people who they they were hurting. I remember hearing about, you know, storms that were knocking down communities or just watching the news and all the bad things that were happening. And I was internalizing all those things. And I, as a child, I never had anybody to really talk to about those things. People just assume, oh, you're just a kid. You're just worried about, you know, what you're going to play, what video game you're going to play next. But no, they're listening and they're hearing everything. All the conversations with my parents when they were struggling with money, uh, the arguments, I was hearing all those things. And so as a teacher, I, I, see, I see those things as well. I see the impact that they have on the kids. And so I think that it's really important that we address those with, with children. In Falling Short, there's a scene where the father was supposed to take his son to Disneyland. And there's a scene where he's sitting in the curb and he's got his little Disneyland ticket in his hand and the, the dad never shows up. There's another scene where the boy gets sick at school. He throws up. He's at the school nurse and they call the dad to come pick him up. And uh, and he the dad shows up, but he's been drinking. These are different experiences that, and some of these experiences are mine, and some of them are th- things that I saw happen to my friends. But they're things that do happen to the to kiddos too. The kiddos where I, where I work, I actually had that situation where one of the kids called home to, have to be picked up, and their father was intoxicated, and so I couldn't allow the child to go with them, and so they're very difficult situations. But these are things that the kids are already going through. And I think I've always thought of books as being kind of like instruction manuals. We're not born with instruction manuals when we're born, but I think children's books are the closest things that we have. And so I'm always trying to not just entertain, but to inform kids too. And any, any information that I have, any experiences that I think might help somebody else, I think it's a way of turning something that was hurtful to me and for example, if I remember walking over to school and there was some dogs that were coming in this direction and one of them bit me. And then I remember fast forwarding when I had my, my, my first child and carrying him and seeing some dogs. And I remember picking him up, scooping him up because I didn't want him to be bit by those dogs. And part of the way that I see that experience is that that prior experience helped me to protect my son from having the same thing happen to him. And so that might not be the best example, but by sharing my experiences, I'm hoping to turn them into something positive so they have a purpose, they have meaning. 
Otherwise, it's just meaningless bad things that happen to us, and that doesn't sit well with me. But you can turn them into something positive but if they help somebody else. Absolutely, and it will help them work through their own issues, which is great. Next question for you. Leading a book study with parents on Ephron Divided is a fantastic initiative. What has the experience been like? I've heard nothing but great things, by the way. And what are some key takeaways for you from those interactions? My first takeaway is that Lisa Solomon is an amazing human being. Agreed. (laughs) She was my mentor teacher, so she taught me everything that I know. Just an amazing, amazing, caring, just compassionate human being, wonderful person. And that experience has been so wonderful. And it's not about the parents reading my book. It's more about they're seeing their stories told too. And the beautiful thing is that the parents are reading the books in Spanish, their kiddos are reading it in English, and they're going home and they're having conversations. And and it's not just conversations about the book, it's ex- shared experiences that they have. And so they're not talking about like, oh, Ephraim's mama, this happens to them. Let me tell you how, what my experiences were coming into this country. And so the kid, the kiddos are actually having these conversations. And I'm hearing from the parents telling me, you know, there was things... I didn't even know that my kids were thinking about. I didn't know that my kids had never asked me these questions before. And and that's, it's been wonderful. Also hearing uh, some of the kiddos, sometimes they want to they raise their hand, they want to read out loud too. And yesterday, one of these students that goes to Mendes, just happens to go there, he started reading out loud. And <laughs> he started laughing while, while he was reading because it was the funniest part in the book. As an author, I, oh my gosh, that was one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had. Just having, experiencing somebody enjoying something that, that you wrote is amazing. But but really, it's just that sense of, I love seeing the parents looking at themselves and seeing how amazing they are. Because you cannot read Ephraim Divided without falling in love with the parents, without thinking that they're amazing human beings and heroes, true heroes, and then when you see yourself and you had you did something very similar, you're like, wait a minute, I'm a hero too. This is I'm amazing, and and that that's been the the best part of it. Um, Super hero. Uh-huh. Super yes <laughs> yes. Basically, I want to just let all the people, all those parents who are there, know you guys are all super too, and they really are. Oh, beautiful. What advice would you give to educators or students in our district who aspire to write and publish their own stories? I think the best advice I can give them is to write about things that are dear to them. Write about things that you want to read. Question things that you question. Write about things that you don't know. Write about things that scare you. Write about things that you don't think you can write about. But honestly, it just comes down to just write and be yourself. Everybody has a unique personality, and and that's what I refer to when people say, oh, I love the voice in this book. It's the author's personality that's coming across, and that's what I gravitate towards. And I think that if people just value themselves enough to allow their personalities to come out in the writing, I think that's going to make people very successful. So I think that's the biggest thing. And also believing yourself and believing your experiences and just know everybody has a story. I really do believe that everybody has the potential to write a book. Because you can teach yourself the mechanics. It's just you can't teach yourself the desire to want to do it. 
but I really do. I mean, there's so many people I've met before and you start talking and you ask them about, so what are your kiddos doing? And they start talking to like 30 minutes about their kids or something that happened when they were growing up. And and I just, I'm always thinking, my God, that would be a fantastic book. I think we're all basically, you know, open books sometimes and, and uh, everybody has a story to share. I love that. Everybody has a book inside them, right? Yes. I know you started to talk about this a little bit when we mentioned the book study with parents, but what has been some of the most impactful feedback you've received from students and parents who have read your books? That's been part of the most rewarding part of this experience. I remember there was there was a girl and when I went to visit a school and she was very excited to get her book signed and she came over and then she just I knew she was going to say something special and meaningful, just the way she was looking at me. She was honestly looking at me like I was somebody, like, you know, somebody she really wanted to meet. And I just, I, I, I could see like a sparkle in her eye. When her turn came over, I asked her her name. And that's when she told me that she really identified with the story of Lalo because she said that's her dad's story. And uh, sorry, I think I'm trying not to choke up at this moment because uh, just thinking about those, but, um, it's just really surreal, and I don't think that's the right word, but it's it's moving. It's just very special when you're writing something and people are really connecting to. I've had people, kid, kiddos, come over to me and telling me that, oh yeah, my my you know my dad's uh, undocumented too, and um, I've had kiddos who, for example, they're we're, we're going to be going off for Christmas break, and I always ask the kids, anybody going anywhere? Anybody doing anything? And I always get a few kids who tell me, oh, I'm going to go see my dad. Oh, where's your dad? Oh, he's over there in Tijuana. You know, we get to see him once a month. And I'm like, oh, are you going to go there? Are you going to go to Friendship Park? And like, no, just like your book. And it just breaks my heart. So part of it is very difficult to hear that they're going through similar experiences because there is a part of me that wishes that there was no place for Efren divided the book. There was no need for it. I think that's what I, I kind of want. And I know it's, it's kind of a weird thing for an author to say, but I really do wish that there was no need for, for this book. I wish that that people weren't identifying with it, but sadly they are. And it's really, it just breaks my heart to hear those stories. So it, it's rewarding, but it's it's devastating to hear at the same time. Important for us to hear and important stories. Um, the characters are truly likable, relatable I mean, I read the book and I actually fell in love with Lalo's character too, because here's a character in a difficult position, but so helpful and so caring. So I completely understand. So one of the things I really wanted to do was to help the kiddos to navigate their situations. So with effort at the end, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but I wanted to the character effort to, to feel empowered by the end of the book. And if there are any kiddos who find themselves in the same situation that Efren does, I hope that they feel empowered as well by the end of the book. Thank you. Next question for you. Can you give us a sneak peek? And I know that you've started to talk about it, but now I'm super excited and can't wait to hear. Into any future projects or books you're working on, what themes or messages are you hoping to explore next? So a little quick disclaimer is that... um, most of my titles are working titles, and every book I've written so far, the title has changed. But the working title right now, it's um, it's named Kessel for short, 
And it's about a boy named Quetzalcoatl, who people can't pronounce his name. And this is based on a student that I actually had. So not based on, on the student, but I'm borrowing his name. And uh, I had trouble with this name at the time too. And so I asked him if I'd call him Gessel, and he, he loved the name Gessel. And uh, it's a story about a boy whose dad worked um, as a security guard right here on the Bristol Spiders fault me. Um, and there was a burglar who breaks into their home and he's murdered. And we fast forward to the story two years later and the boy's still struggling with the, the loss of his father. And so one day he makes a wish that he, he could see his dad again. And the next day he wakes up, but it's 1982. And he gets to, to see his dad again, but he's 12 years old. And his father is a tremendo. And, it, and, it's, it's, and I'm having so much fun revisiting the 80s. And I get to write about schools like Spurgeon and Fremont and going to Salvador Park and doing all the foosball tournaments and going into the swimming pool for 25 cents because it lets you go for two hours. Back in the day, they would let you go for two hours. And then my friends and I, like our friend, we would go into the bathrooms and we would hide and they kick everybody out. And then when they let the next batch in, we would just come out of the bathrooms. So for 25 cents, we would spend the entire day there. Just all that our sweetest that we did when we were kids, I get to relive them and, and share them with people. So I'm, I cannot tell you how excited I am about it, how much fun it's been. I am following my rule about writing for one hour a day. And so I'm happy. I'm not making myself sick. I'm not stressed. I'm really enjoying the process. And so I'm really excited for that story to come out. I'm not sure if it's going to make it for 2024. It's either going to be late 2024 or early 2025. But that's one of the projects I'm working on. I'm working on a comic book. And I'm hoping to publish a young adult novel as well. One that I wrote in Sharon Saxon's junior year classroom. What wow. is one of her assignments? And I'm super, super excited about being able to write for a little bit older kids. And that was a little bit more challenging. That, that, that title is going to really be very emotional. I know Ernest Hemingway said something along the lines of basically just bleeding onto the pages and that writing is pretty easy if you do that. And for me, that's always been my approach. I don't really censor myself as far as like, what am I willing to share? I did grow up with a lot of tough experiences, but those are the tough experiences that the kids are also having and they're, they're living them too. So again, I want to help them navigate those, those experiences, those tough moments in life. I am so excited about what's to come. I can't wait. I hope that your book gets published Gesso, sooner than later so I can read it. Me too, me too. <laughs> but I'm excited about the comic book and the young adult book as well. So you'll have to keep me posted. I will. And I'm really excited right now because there's two kiddos in my classroom who have copies. And they're, like I said earlier, they're my best editors. And I'm really excited about it. I did have an author friend read it, and uh, she said she thought it was the best thing I've written yet. So that's exciting. But yeah, I'm, I think I'm more excited about the kiddos. I just want to see their reaction because I know that they're going to be super honest. And I just can't wait to kind of pick their brains and ask them, what parts did you enjoy? Did anything kind of move you? And like I said, those are my editors. I could not write without them. Awesome. Okay, last question I have for you before we get into our Amplifier Acknowledgement segment. Reflecting on your journey from a student in Santa Ana to a nationally recognized author, what are some key life lessons you've learned that you'd like to pass on to our educators and our students? You know, it's funny how every time you ask me questions about things that I've learned throughout this whole process, I cannot help but mention uh, Sharon Saxton. 
And I think that the reason for that is as an educator, she had a huge impact on, on my life. And part of it was because growing up, and I think this is the third time I'm going to reference, but with a sense of disentitlement, I just did not believe in myself. And sometimes when you don't believe in yourself, you need that one person who will believe in you when you can't. And she was that for me. And I remember her pretty much, She, I wasn't doing my homework and she pulled me aside and she had a very uh, stern talking to me. And I realized she was probably the first teacher that ever showed she cared. And even though, you know, maybe I didn't like the, the message that she was giving me, I appreciated it so much. And it was just her faith in me. And she would always tell me that you're, you're such a talented writer. And, uh, and, I, and I believed her because she was always so brutally honest about everything else that why would she lie to me? But she's been amazing. Right after I left high school, I found out that she actually signed up to take classes with her former students in the community college because she heard about so many of them that were struggling. So she signed up and she took the classes alongside with them. And so, again, it just goes back to, I mean, she's a wonder one, she's a wonderful human being. And two, just that she invested her time and her energy into her students. And I still, and we keep in touch on social media sometimes. And again, it just goes down to, I, I did not believe in myself, but she did. And she kind of carried me for, for a couple of years. Just her belief in me helped me help to, um, she just kept me going. Every time I was at UC Irvine, other professors would, you know, shred my paper and say, oh, this is one of the worst things I've ever read. I would think, you know, Sharon Saxon thought you were very talented. Okay, you can do this. You can do this. And so she, I think a lot of the confidence or what little confidence I had, it all came from her. And I think that as an educator, that's the most powerful thing you do. If you can believe in the kiddos and, and let them know that you're not just saying that you truly believe in them, uh, that's the most powerful thing a teacher can can do for a student. I think that that is a powerful message, not just for teachers, but for every employee that works with children, for all parents, aunties, uncle, everybody, right? Tios, tias, everybody, abuelitos, abuelitas, just to continually tell our kiddos that we believe in them and they can do anything they set their minds to doing. Yes, and, and in the classroom, I... I share the struggles with the kids too. When we are doing writing and uh, and I, I don't like to go home and write something the night before. I used to do that as a teacher because I thought I'm the teacher. I can't, I, I can't have spelling mistakes if I write something or I can't have you know improperly structured sentences. So let me type something up and, and, and write it and have it be very professional. And then I realized, but the kids are not seeing the true process. I never hide my mistakes. I never hide my frustrations. There's days that my lessons don't go well, and we talk about them the next day. I'm like, you know what, it's fine, because now I learned what I did wrong, and now we can try and, and do it better. So that's also really important, that we also show them the struggles as well. A lot of times people don't, they're not transparent with those things, and so kids, they try to be like us, and then when they fail, it, sometimes they give up because they think they, well, I'm not as good as this person. No, no, no. You just didn't see all the work that it took. You know, okay, you're struggling to publish your book. Okay, I struggled for 14 years. So that's part of the process sometimes. Yeah, you're being authentic with our students and you're helping them become more reflective and you're helping them become more resilient. So thank you for that. 
Okay, before we sign off, it's time for our Amplifier Acknowledgement segment. Ernesto, if you could amplify the message or lesson of one educator or leader who's made a significant impact in your journey, who would it be and what is that resonating message? I could very easily go back to Sharon Saxton <laughs> one more time. <laughs> I think I'm going to mention Miss Ashley also on and she's also a teacher that was choosing my math, Algebra 1 and Algebra 2 teacher and sat out of high school. I think that the message that she gave me, though it wasn't an actual something she said, it was something she did. And she would always stay after school and just tutor us. And she would play music and she would make it fun. And I never knew that studying could be fun. And honestly, I would go to the class just because I thought it was a cool place to be. And the fact that they were doing math problems, it, that didn't seem to matter. And I didn't know I was studying. And I think the message is sometimes we just need somebody to sit by us, by our side. And even if she wasn't directly telling me how to do the math problems, just knowing she was there, you know, working on math, on math problems, there's other students that are doing the same thing. My peers were doing the same thing. She was leading by example. And I think sometimes with a lot of kiddos, we ask them to do things. Go home and read. Okay, but sometimes they need somebody to sit next to them while they're reading, or do they need somebody to read with them? Okay, I need you to study. Okay, what does studying even look like? For a lot of the kiddos, they, they're not aware, they're not sure exactly how to do these things. So I think the biggest message is sometimes we just, we need a little bit of help. And it's those little things that make the biggest differences. I think that the overarching theme with, with both teachers, and not just them, but everybody else who's been part of my life, who's influenced me you know, at, at school, they all gave me a place to be. And it wasn't just a place to be, but it was a place where I wanted to be. Like I felt welcomed. And I, looking back now, actually, this is the first time I'm actually processing this like live on the spot. But as I think about this, every classroom where I did excel, was a place where I felt welcomed and wanted and appreciated. And all the classrooms where I did not feel that way, where I thought it, was just, it felt like I was just another number, I, didn't, I usually didn't do very well in those classes because I didn't, unfortunately, I just didn't do things for myself. And sometimes when those, you have somebody who cares about you, you don't want to disappoint them. So I think that's what it was. I, they cared about me. So in return, I cared about them and what they thought about me. And so I think that that brought out the, the best of me. And I will forever be super appreciative for what they did. Such powerful acknowledgments. Remember, leadership is not just about guiding, but also celebrating and acknowledging those who've paved the way. Ernesto, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on SAUSD's Amplifying Leadership. Your journey from Santa Ana to the pages of your books is an inspiring testament to the power of resilience, creativity, and dedication. Thank you for sharing your insights and for the profound impact you're making in the lives of our students, parents, and the broader community. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. I hope Ernesto's story has inspired you to find your own unique ways to connect, create, and contribute to our community. Remember, each one of us has a story that can ignite change and foster understanding. Until next time, 
Keep leading, keep inspiring, and keep amplifying the voices that make SAUSD a place of growth and discovery.